Thanks for tuning in to the Flober Transport Intelligence Podcast, where industry leaders talk about the trends, technologies, and influences shaping the convergence of public and private transport. In this latest Flowbird podcast, we'll be in conversation with Alistair McEnroy, who is Chief Executive Officer of Technology Scotland, an organisation heavily involved in a project to bring the benefits of mobility as a service to the country. Welcome, Alistair. Good to be here. Thanks for having you. Uh, Let's start by finding out a little more about how you became involved in Technology Scotland and what the remit is for the organisation particularly in relation to MAS Scotland. Yeah, no problem. So, I mean, I guess from the off, I should confess that I'm, I'm, I'm not a transport professional uh, by background, but I have worked in science and technology for my whole career. I'm, I'm actually a chemist by education, uh, by degree and, and PhD, and, and I've worked in a, a series of technical and commercial roles right across the UK science and technology clusters. So I've covered everything from infectious disease diagnostics and chemical manufacturer all the way through to optical systems and and, and mobility. Um, I joined Technology Scotland in 2016 and became the CEO at uh, the beginning of last year, the beginning of, of 2020. So uh, Technology Scotland is uh, what's known as a cluster management organisation. And we have a, a wider remit for a, a broad section of the technology sector. Uh, in Scotland, but we we operate three primary clusters underneath that Technology Scotland umbrella, um, one of which, uh, and actually our largest, is the Mass Scotland network. So that's how it fits in with the overall um, structure of Technology Scotland. So there seems to be a lot of interest at the moment in Mass as a as a concept across government and among local authorities. What's the vision for Mass Scotland and? What will mobility as a service look like here? Yeah, but I guess our vision is 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 to support our members and the wider mass community in Scotland to develop, demonstrate, and deliver mass solutions um, that we believe can have a significant positive impact on future transport provision uh, in Scotland. We we firmly believe that technology is an important part um, of the solution when considering sustainable mobility and it's not just the positive impact that it can have on transport directly but also and i think where it starts to get really exciting is when you consider the positive impact it can have on adjacent policy areas uh, and societal challenges things like climate change public health um inclusivity so we are all about trying to position scotland as a world lead uh, in mass development and uh, uh, i guess a test bed for future um, mass projects you mentioned um, the members of, uh, of MAS Scotland. Perhaps you can just tell us a little bit about the sorts of organisations that are involved and what the progress has been so far and whether there's a, uh, a sort of timeline for the launch of MAS. Sure, yeah. So um, the network is currently uh, around 75 public and private sector uh, members. Um, And we have what we refer to as representation across the mass supply chain. So by that, I mean, we have um, the technology providers at one end, both the hardware and software technology solutions that are required for mass. But we also have the operators involved, and that's traditional public transport operators, but also the new and emerging modes, bike share, car clubs, uh, and increasingly we're we're exploring micro mobility. 
as as well. Um, but then we also have um, the public sector involved, and we see them really as a, a crucial partner in development of mass. So we have uh, in Scotland our regional transport partnerships. We also have our, our local authorities, and of course we also have Transport Scotland, who have been very supportive um, of what we're trying to do here. Uh, in terms of progress, I guess Mass Scotland as an organisation um, was formed in 2017, um, and um, when we was formed back then, we had we had some work to do. Um, first, we needed to raise the profile of what Mass actually was, uh, particularly among those who could help um, to deliver it. And I think it was fair to say that. Um, now even, but even certainly four years ago, that mobility as a service was very much an emerging concept. It was known by those in the field, but not necessarily by a number of other people who would be required to facilitate its rollout. So that was very much almost a, a marketing and awareness raising exercise around what mass was and why people should be interested in it and what positive impacts um, it could bring. Alongside that, we then had to consider what else was required to take those steps towards making mass a reality. And one of the things we did back in 2018 was publish a paper um, that brought mass to the attention of particularly Scottish government, but also um, uh, recommended within that um, uh, uh, the creation of a fund to support mass projects in Scotland. And that resulted in what we now refer to as the Mass Investment Fund, um, which is a government-sponsored fund that um, was launched in 2019 uh, to support mass pilot projects across Scotland. The first projects to be supported through that fund were announced at the beginning of 2020 and were due to hit the ground running around the spring of last year. Um, but then, of course, COVID hit and these projects were put on pause um, but are due to start up again in the summer of this year. Um, and in the meantime, round two of that fund uh, has also just closed um, and that will support an additional three to four projects, again, all starting around the summer of this year. So, where we felt like 2020 was going to be a, a big year for mass in Scotland. COVID unfortunately had other plans, but it now looks like 2021 into 2022 could be the big year, will be the big year for mass in Scotland with six to seven projects all being um, run as a single programme throughout Scotland, looking at mass in different use cases. And that's that's hugely exciting for everybody involved in the development here. When you say different use cases, will that be based on what, uh, whether they're in cities, rural? How are you sort of defining what the use is for mass? Yeah, that's a good question. And the, the, the projects have been split broadly into themes. Um, and it includes that split that you mentioned between rural and urban. We believe that there's a role for mass in both um uh, locations, if you like, but it will, of course, look different. Mass in rural areas and mass in urban areas is not necessarily going to follow the same uh, blueprint. Um, so, yes, we are looking at urban um, and rural areas, but we're also looking specifically at what mass can do by way of um, areas such as uh, accessibility and inclusivity. Um, we're also looking at mass in specific use cases around uh, tourism, around links to education, around links to healthcare services. So um, these are all um, important um, sort of um, um, end uses, if you like, or, or different user groups for mass. And we want to test as many of those as we can over the coming uh, couple of years. 
So it sounds as though you envisage maths to be uh, beneficial to uh, a, a large cross-section of the community. Um, do you think there is a risk that people who are, who are perhaps a bit less tech-savvy or unbanked could be uh, excluded from a maths project? Yes. I mean, I think that is always a risk and we have to acknowledge that. It's important that we acknowledge that. And I think that's why, uh, in our view, the, the digital solution can never be the only solution. Um, and while we think that the uh, the digital platforms that will support mass will be the core of clearly of, of that delivery, we need to also make provision for more traditional communication methods, for more traditional payment methods, etc., to make sure that we are reaching all those um you know all those communities and all those groups that we that we that we wish to mass by its definition should be a more inclusive service um and we don't want to detract from that inclusivity by by hiding it behind a technical barrier um if that can be avoided so i think the hope would be that that these types of platforms and services would become more ubiquitous as time goes on and and the risk of that technological gap would lessen but i certainly think in the initial rollout phase that we have to be very clear that um, there are multiple access points for people to ensure that that doesn't happen and um, thinking about transport operators obviously there needs to be a lot of cooperation and trust between operators for a mass project to succeed what are you hearing from transport operators at the moment are they uh, enthusiastic or are they somewhat sort of uh, wary do you think of getting involved just at the moment yeah i think that's a good question and i, I would say i think they approach mass with some caution um, I think many are, are wary of injecting a, a new middle layer um, into the mix. And, and what does that mean for them, for their customers, um, for their revenues? Um, I mean, I think intuitively, of course, it should be a positive for them. The, the modal shift that Mass is trying to support and accelerate should increase patronage. It should you know, it should literally put more bums on seats. Um, but I think there is also concern amongst, you know, traditional public transport operators around losing patronage to alternative modes or having to um, perhaps uh, share uh, data and, um, and indeed the customer with others. Um, and, and not to mention the questions around, um, you know, revenue splits and things like that. So there are some questions around that that I think the, the, the public transport operators are rightly, you know, need answers too. And I think that comes down to, to proving out the impact of mass and building an evidence base for the delivery of mass and the, the impact of it. I'm I'm a strong proponent of mass, obviously, and many others are, but we need to acknowledge that the evidence base for mass impact remains relatively low, particularly um, in the UK. So as we want to try and, um, I guess, convince, if that's the right word, the various stakeholders who are going to be involved in the delivery of mass, including the transport operators, we need to build that evidence base. And that's where these pilot projects become so important because as we begin to build those pilot projects, build out the programmes, build out the evidence base, then we can go to the public transport operators and other stakeholders with some real real world impact that will show them that it is to their benefit to be involved um, um, in, these, um, in these solutions. So wearing your technology hat, uh, are there any sort of particular barriers at the moment that you foresee or challenges to overcome? 
there are, but actually, I see technology as being you know a fairly minor challenge um, in mass rollout. The, the technology is there. I mean, sure, there will be uh, improvements and refinements to be made all the time, but um, the basic technology um, is is there. The challenges for me are related more to things like the commercial models, to the stakeholder management, which is, I think, a key barrier to mass. There are just so many stakeholders involved in its delivery, um, particularly in the deregulated environment that we find for the most part within the UK, the multiple operators, the local authorities that would need to be involved, the technology providers as well. Um, So there's a real stakeholder management piece that needs to be involved in that. And I think that... Um, lends itself into the broader question of governance um, as well. It's a complicated beast mass and delivering a service that is commercially viable, acceptable to all stakeholders and delivers on the societal goals that we're trying to achieve is not easy. Um, and you know, one solution will not fit all. That's, I think, an, an absolute guarantee. So we need to have the governance structures in place to allow people to navigate that a little bit easier, allow them to understand their, their own and their, their companies and organisations' roles and responsibilities um, within that. And that's part of the equation alongside building the evidence base. We need to begin to look at these factors as well. So uh, you, you've touched on some societal gains that you that you see uh, coming from mass. Um, what about the environment? I guess that's a strong driver at the moment. Do you see this being influential in terms of modal shift? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the key positive benefits of mobility as a service. I mean, ultimately, it's all about giving people choice and supporting people to make informed decisions as to how they travel. And in doing that, will help to direct behaviours and inspire, I guess, the type of modal shift from private car use that we know is required for that more sustainable transport future. And it, it, it does this in, in, in a number of ways, but it helps to reduce some of the known barriers to shared and public transport. One of the key ones there is, is lack of information. Often people just are not aware of the options that are available to them to make often their daily journeys or, or, or other journeys within their, their their locality. So information is a key bit of that. And then there are other uh, issues around complexity of ticketing um, and confidence in the network if things go wrong. And again, mass can help to simplify that. It can help to provide real-time information that will give people the confidence to, um, to leave their car at home and use more shared transport. So clearly that's going to have significant positive impact um, um, on the environment. We know that transport is now the single biggest contributor of CO2 emissions. We know that private car use, particularly uh, single occupancy private car use, is a a significant contributor of that. So we have to begin to transition people to to shared modes. Uh, Having said that, and I think it is important to stress this, I think particularly in the the early period of mass, um, it's really important to recognise that the car is an important part of that modal mix. It's an important part of 
of the of mass delivery, um, and I think whenever mass is articulated as being a direct replacement for the car, I don't actually think that does it any favours because I think that for a lot of people is too big a step. What we're looking to do with mass is to encourage people and to help people use their car a bit less. We recognise that there will be particular journeys or particular times where the car is the only option or the or, or um, available. Um, um, but what we want to do is to begin to transition people um, towards using it less and to engaging more with that um, sustainable transport network. Um, just a couple of other points. Uh, I guess one of the the fundamental shifts might be in the way that people pay for their uh, transport or any other service that's linked to mass. Do you think that's going to be something that people will accept quite easily? For example, if they, if uh, if the model relies on account based ticketing. I think they will, but I think the key word there might be flexibility. Um, and I think what people will be looking for is that whatever the payment methods are, and, and they will, of course, hopefully be simplified through mass, that there will be the flexibility there as well. Um, and I think that's uh, uh, an accusation that's pointed currently at some of the payment um, op options for, for public transport, that that flexibility doesn't necessarily exist. And I think that's going to become increasingly important in a post-COVID world where perhaps the travel patterns and travel behaviours of people, particularly commuters, might change. And that daily Monday to Friday, nine to five pattern is likely to be I suspect probably significantly shifted. People may be travelling two, three days a week or one, two days a week. So the idea of, um, you know, weekly tickets, monthly tickets, that kind of thing are, are going to be much less attractive. So I think the key thing is, is yes, simplification of, simplification of payment and integrated payment is great. But I think also there must be flexibility there as well um, to allow people to to pay as you go, to pay an account, to pay by some kind of e-purse, whatever it might be, but allow them to do so in a way that, that fits their um, particular needs. And, that, and that's a key thing for Mass. It's about delivering um, a personalised approach to mobility as much as is possible. Now, we are we recognise that, that, um, that, that Mass Transit, by definition, cannot be entirely um, individual or, or personalised for obvious reasons. But what we can do is begin to personalise some of the the options for travel, some of the payment um, flexibilities for travel uh, and things like that. And uh, finally, Alistair, just wearing your futurologist hat, what do you think the, uh, the mass landscape might look like in, say, five years' time? Can you see... Uh, mass expanding to include all sorts of different services that perhaps we haven't thought about today. I mean, we think uh, we're, we, we sort of assume things like scooter hire, final mile services will be wrapped in. But is there anything else you think there that that mass can offer in terms of potential? Yeah, I mean, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, perhaps for. For, for very practical reasons, Mass is focused on the integration primarily of and initially of, of the transport modes themselves. So that clearly involves um, the public transport modes, but increasingly the, the emerging modes, that some of which you've mentioned there, micromobility, but also um, uh, uh, 
uh, bike sharing and 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 car clubs etc and also things like like taxis so th- there needs to be that full multimodal integration but then i think there's a there's a secondary layer um, beyond that which i think is is even more exciting where we begin to break down some of the silos between transport um and other services in other words we're beginning to break down um, the, the silos between the, the journey itself and the reason for that journey. And then you start to get into the areas um, like, well, how, how can we link our mobility needs with um, access to education, with access to healthcare, with access to leisure and, and retail? And that's, I think, where it can start to become um, uh, very exciting um, when we can begin to do that. Alistair McEnroy. Chief Executive Officer of Technology Scotland, thank you very much today for your insights. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Don't forget to tune into the next Flowbird podcast for industry insights into the future of public transport. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.